Praise the Lord, everyone. Amen. It is great to see a semi-full COVID house at New Life Church. I wish the people at, at home could see. It just really uh, does my heart good to see uh, the people of God gathering here. I know we have a few visitors with us today. We're thankful for your presence here. We pray that this will be a blessing to you being with us today. Amen. Amen. Um, well, I'm going to jump right in today. Last week, I started um, a, a two-part State of the Church address on making disciples in the beloved community. What I focused on last week was the, the big picture, the biggest part of the big picture. I focused on why New Life Philly is called to be this beloved community. Uh, and, and today, I'm going to focus not just on the why or the what we're called to be, but the intricate nitty-gritty of how to get there. Amen? So, so this all comes about because of the church vision that was set out at New Life long before I ever got here. If you could put that on the board real quick. New Life Philly exists to be a thriving family in the city where the broken from all nations, and they're right here in Alney and Upper North Philly, the broken from all nations are made alive and whole, finding hope and purpose in Jesus. Somebody should say hallelujah to that. Amen. I love that vision. Uh, I talked about last week that uh, we're, we're focused both on how glorious a task this is in the eyes of God, but also how hard it is in the world. Amen? This is not easy stuff. As a church, we are taking dead aim on a demonic stronghold in our country and in our city that seeks to separate and divide people from one another, even Christians. As we continue in this work of forming the beloved community, what we're doing is we are plundering the camp of the enemy uh, who, who wants to separate and divide so that we can fully recognize one another as brothers and sisters brought together by one Savior, one Lord, and one blood. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So today, I'm going to go past just the why and the what and get into some of the how. As we get ready to do that, let me pray. Father God, I thank you for this gathered community that is here in the building. I thank you for our brothers and sisters who are watching us, Lord God, through live stream. And Lord God, we pray that you will use this time where we kind of step back from our normal uh, a way of doing our sermons, and we talk about what is God calling us to as a church. Lord God, just be with us in the coming minutes. Lead and guide everything about our time together, and let Jesus Christ be glorified in the midst of all of it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So last week, toward the end of the sermon, I talked about four areas, four uh, main areas of the beloved community, and, and they're on the board right now. The beloved community is, number one, a praying community. 
It is a worshiping community, a missional community, and an equipping community. So today what I want to do is take time to unpack each of those a little bit. Let's look at what that means practically for us at New Life Philly. And then we'll also, at the end, take a few minutes to talk about what it means to live out our commitment to justice and racial reconciliation in our city and in this church. So let's start with number one. Uh, the beloved community is a praying community. Psalm 127 puts it this way, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen watch in vain. There can be no doubt that any fruitful and lasting work of God in our midst is because of the fervent prayers of God's people who are seeking the throne of God. Prayer is the heavy lifting in the kingdom of God. People that are given to prayer, intercessory prayer in particular, often are never seen in the ministry. They're not highlighted. We don't make much of them. But the reality is, without people who are on their knees and seeking the face of God and beseeching the Lord of the harvest, the rest of our work is just useless. It won't accomplish anything. But thanks be to God for those among us, many of whom I probably don't even know how much they're praying and how much they've been praying for this church and for this vision for years, even before I got here. We need to see prayer, brothers and sisters, as a dialogue with God. It's not simply a monologue where we talk to God and tell him what we want, but it is also a dialogue where we listen and hear from God as he gives us direction and guidance for his church. As a first part of being this beloved community, we are a people committed to ongoing and intense prayer. So in the coming months, we'll be assembling an intercessory prayer team at New Life. And some of the ways that we will focus on prayer right here. Number one, we're going to continue our daily corporate prayer. This is like the one good thing that's come out of COVID-19 for us. Amen. It is that daily, Monday through Friday, we get it in together in prayer. And we're going to continue to do that as we move forward. Secondly, reinstituting Sunday morning prayer. And what I mean by that is specifically in the hour before our service, we're going to have an intercessory prayer team beseeching God to move during our service by his spirit to do his work, convicting people of sin, encouraging people, strengthening people, and even bringing people to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, seeing people saved and seeing God at work in miraculous ways in this service. Thirdly, we're going to have 24-hour prayer chains. We'll do this several times during the year, at least four times. Sometimes it will be something that we planned well in advance to have a prayer chain where people may take a slot of a half an hour or an hour and they'll be praying. So somebody's got to get 3 a.m., amen, when we do that. But we'll have those times, and sometimes it may be in response to something going on where we're just going to call out a prayer chain and we're going to work on that. 
together. And then also quarterly uh, services of prayer and worship where we're coming together not on a Sunday but at another time during the week to seek God in prayer and in worship. Those are some of the things we'll be doing as a praying community. The second part of the beloved community is it is a worshiping community. I love Psalm 96 verses 9 and 10. Scripture says it this way. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. In that first verse we looked at, verse 9, the word worship there is a Hebrew word, shakah. And that word means to bow down. That word means to get low and bow down. Psalm 95, 6, many of you know that psalm. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. There's actually two words in a row there. It could say, come, let us bow down and bow down and kneel before the Lord, our maker. It's talking about getting in that low place. In the New Testament, the word that's used for worship is a Greek word, proskuneo, that's often translated in our English Bibles as worship. And that word means to prostrate yourself, to get low before God. So when we talk about being a church that is a worshiping community, we're not simply talking about the songs that we sing. We're not talking about what we sing. We are talking about being a community of people that humbles ourselves in a low posture, in an attitude to glorify the king, to get low and humble in submission to the God who saves. That's what we mean when we talk about the worshiping community. This posture is the corporate identity of the people of God in the beloved community. We recognize our sovereign king and we bow in humble submission before him to say that we are a worshiping community means that we are marked by humility and submission to God. Now, here's what we're not like. As, as this beloved worshiping community, we're not like seagulls at the beach. Amen. Anyone ever took out a sandwich on the beach and got accosted by the seagulls? The seagulls come and they fight one another and they poke and they do whatever they can to get a little piece of that bread, a little piece of that food. We are not like that in the kingdom of God. Instead, collectively... We bow before the one true and mighty God. We reference him, we submit to him, and we live in love with one another. How can we do that? We do that because we don't have to worry where the next meal is coming from. We don't have to worry about what we're going to eat or drink because we have received the true manna from heaven. We have received the bread of life. We have received the one through whom fountains of living water flow from him to us. And we don't have to compete with anyone else. We don't have to fight with anyone else. We don't jostle with anyone else. We realize and recognize the goodness of our God toward us us we worship him and we love one another the worshiping community as a worshiping community our 
activities are focused on blessing and reverencing God and on building up one another. The focus of worship, we see this in 1 Corinthians from 10 to 14. The focus of worship is to reverence God and build up one another in our faith. It's the basic building block of what it means to be a beloved community. So how do we live this out? We'll live out our corporate identity in worship in several ways. Number one, Sunday morning gatherings as, as a multicultural expression of worship to the Lord. We come together to worship God. We worship him creatively. We worship him passionately. We worship him as this expression of the body that comes together from different places, different backgrounds, but we come together around the throne of the one true God. Secondly, we worship him and we gather together in life groups dedicated to building one another up in Christ. Brothers and sisters, I urge you to see life groups are a place where we are able to live out the one another's of the New Testament. Love one another, encourage one another, build up one another, strengthen one another, sometimes even deal with one another in other ways. But we are doing the one anothering in our life groups, and that is an expression of worship to God as we build one another up in him. And then lastly... Here, children, youth, young adults, women, men, other specialized ministries celebrate recovery and others. These ministries gather in worship and build one another up in the Lord. Our focus is on growing together in worship of the one true God. Third piece here is that the beloved community is a missional community. God is the ultimate missionary. The missio dei, the mission of God. For God so loved the world that he became an incarnational missionary in order to reach people with no hope in this world apart from him. Has he reached you? I know he reached me one day. And he's still reaching me day by day. We emphasize that the beloved community is a community of missionaries who are focused on spreading the good news of God's kingdom wherever we are in the earth. Back in January, I, I talked a lot about Jack Miller, who was the, the founder of, kind of the founder God used him to start this new life movement that we are a part of. And, and, and Jack Miller insisted that churches can become ingrown if they're not careful when they rely on their own power, on their own wisdom, and on their own ability rather than relying on the power of God. Miller wrote these words. He says, at bottom, this is unbelief based on secularized ignorance of the Spirit's power. His ability, the Holy Spirit's ability to supply us with God's goals for the church and the supernatural means to reach them. 
God at work in the midst of his people. That is our hope. Brothers and sisters, the beloved community of God's people lives out the missionary mandate not based on some idea of our duty, not based on some idea of legalistic obedience, but based on a spirit-infused desire to see lost people come to know the blessings of life in Jesus Christ. We're moved. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says it this way, that, that, that the love of Christ constrains us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. Here's what I want you to see. God always calls his church to mission. Please hear me when I say this. When the primary preoccupation of the church becomes the comfort of people, rather than reaching those who do not yet know Jesus Christ, the church quickly becomes irrelevant, and is in danger, hear me now, of a God-inflicted death. Now that sounds crazy, because we know God loves his people forever and for always, but if, if we look, and next week we'll look again in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, the letters to the seven churches, five of those seven churches, God says, watch out, be careful, your lampstand might be taken away. So in other words, any given local church cannot keep uh, 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 its, its existence and its continuance. We can't take that from granted. God gives us that as we're on mission for him. And now here's the thing that I want you to get in this as well. That doesn't mean that the church is a group of people who are just looking out there and we're not caring for one another's needs. That's not what it means at all. In fact, I don't believe that there's a greater apologetic that exists in this world than seeing a group, a diverse group of people unified around Jesus Christ, caring for one another's needs, loving one another, having no other reason to be together, but look what Jesus has done and see how they love one another. You want to talk about an apologetic for Christ? That's it. That they may be unified, Jesus says in John 17, even as I and the Father are one, so that the world might know that you sent me. People know by how we love. And, and, and this love becomes the foundation from which spirit-empowered mission takes place. Now, when I speak of mission, I want to make sure nobody gets it twisted that I'm not just talking about missions over there somewhere. Missions out there, missions over there. If you are a Christian, you are called to be a missionary ambassador for Christ, no matter where you're at in this world. He says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now, if you look at that verse, the we in that verse, and the us in that verse, apply directly to everyone who is hearing these words today, who's a follower of Jesus Christ. Put your name in there. 
If that's you, then you are called to be an ambassador. You are called to be a missionary. You are called to spread the good news of Jesus Christ in your community of influence. Just like any missionary who goes to a foreign country, God is calling us to adjust our lives around the reality of maximizing our witness for Jesus Christ in this world. You are where God wants you to be to share the light of Christ in your own unique way. Not everybody's Billy Graham. Not everyone has the gift of evangelism. We're all different, but God wants to use you. He wants to use your gifts. He wants to use your personality in his unique way to see his gospel go forward in the world. So here's two ways that we can do that as a church. Number one, lifestyle evangelism as mission. Lifestyle evangelism as mission. This simply means that you leverage your life, your contacts, your sphere of influence, your neighborhood, your job, you leverage your life in such a way that you are pointing others to Jesus Christ in the natural flow of living. In your natural flow of living. Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 puts it this way. It says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation, and that word means your way of life, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Brothers and sisters, we're ministers of reconciliation. Always asking God, how can I point someone else towards Jesus How can I make this gospel appealing? Because after all, it is the good news, right? Gospel is not bad news. The gospel is the good news of a savior who comes. So this includes at least two ways to do that. One, uh, in, in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, Jesus says, therefore, go and make disciples. So there is a going function. In other words, there's a function that doesn't happen in this building. There's a function that doesn't happen just in church gatherings. If people are in church 24-7, 365, then we're, we're not obeying God very well. Amen? This going function means that we are involved with other people that don't know Jesus yet. And we have that attitude. They don't know him yet. But my desire would be to see them come to know God. So we get involved in our children's schools. We get involved in activities with other parents. Uh, If you have younger children who are involved in activities, we get involved in neighborhood associations and in other ways to connect with people who don't yet know Jesus. We go lifestyle evangelism and and secondly we invite people to come as well come and see one of the apostles says come and see the woman at the well says come and see a man who told me everything about myself she told me he told me all of this stuff so we we invite people come and see see what's going on maybe in my life group maybe at a party we're having in our house could be a birthday party post-covid on the other side of covid Thank you, Jesus, for the other side of COVID. But where where we're inviting people together, it doesn't have to be a spiritual function. But if you've got believers in the midst and we just be who we are, some of it is going to pour out and people are going to hear about and see Jesus at work.
Secondly, specific missional outreach to our community. Danielle Paul, who just left us, as Pastor Tim said, to help a church plant in Kensington, was a real blessing in in getting us to think outside of here and to look at how we can reach out to our community. So we've got a lot of work to do in developing ways that we can do that better, a deeper connection with our community. My heart, and I know the hearts of many people here, is to see us uh, one place that we can really do, uh, I want to do a better job as a pastor here. I want to see us make even more effort to reach out to Alney Christian School. I see our principal right here and the parents and the children of Alney Christian School and let them know that we are here and that God's love is here and that we would love to see them uh, come into a greater knowledge of Jesus Christ. But we want to do that with the rest of our community as well in creative ways. I do thank God for the deacons of New Life Philly who reach out and meet many practical and real needs of people in this community. They do it without fanfare. They do it without anybody knowing about it. But real needs are getting met all around this community through the work of our deacons. But as a missional community, we also want to focus on mission throughout the world. Acts 1.8 puts it this way. But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Brothers and sisters, Philadelphia is our Jerusalem. It's where we start, but it's not where we finish. (laughs) We've got to go outside of here and we want we're not satisfied until we see God going to the ends of the earth and even using this church to reach to the ends of the earth with his gospel. That's our desire, and that is also our strategy. I want you guys to just hear a little bit strategically, why are we doing what we're doing in world missions? I'm glad you asked that question. So, so, So here's the answer. New Life is focused specifically on four different areas of the world. Our foreign missions work includes two areas that emphasize outreach to unreached people groups. You can see Matt and Annette Cummings are missionaries in Japan, one of the most unreached countries in the world. And then David and Claire Leppert are in Spain, but their outreach is specifically to Muslims, most of them who have come to Spain from northern Africa. So we have one part of our global missions outreach that is reaching unreached peoples or unreached places for the gospel. The second area is that New Life also supports missionaries and mission efforts in countries that already have a substantial Christian population but are in desperate need of biblical training and planting Christ-centered churches. So in the Dominican Republic, Steve and Sandra Brauning are there, and they are supporting the efforts of training church planters, of helping to get Christian schools off off their feet and and into a healthy place, of helping to plant churches. And much of their work is 
in rural parts of the Dominican where uh, Haitians have come into the country in search of, of jobs. And so many, much of their work is done in rural parts, helping to establish churches and educate pastors, native Dominican or Haitian pastors, to do the work of evangelism and discipleship right in their context. And then also we support Pastor Robert Monda and PTIA, which is the Pastoral Training Institute of Africa. It is uh, an organization that um, Pastor Manda and I actually worked together on starting several years back. Um, and PTIA is training pastors, sending them to every region of that country, northern uh, the central region, the southern region, every part of that country, and planting churches. We planted over 25 churches there in the last six years. God is at work. In the coming years, here's my hope. Many of you sitting here, many of you hearing me right now, will be able to experience that firsthand. I want us to go to each place that we are supporting and send out teams to go on short-term mission trips and see what God is doing and see where we can roll up our sleeves and help out. Amen? I hope many of you get to go on those trips. And we will also be in the next, uh, in the coming years, every quarter, we, we will emphasize uh, one of these ministries and either have them here in a service on Sunday or have them send a tape message and we will hear from these missionaries what God is doing in all these different parts of the world. Lastly, the beloved community is an equipping community. That means that from the youngest ages, we're committed to doing everything that we can do to help people be discipled in becoming more like Jesus. So I want to look at one scripture on that real quick. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. The scripture says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I love this passage, and I hope one day in the not-too-distant future, to do a full sermon on it. But there's three things I want you to see in this passage about what it means to equip uh, right here. So number one, I want you to see this. The primary purpose of leaders in the body of Christ is to equip God's people. That is the primary purpose of leaders. We see that in verses 11 and 12. He gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to equip people. God gives leaders the specific task of equipping. That, that word equipping in verse 12 is a word that's used in secular Greek literature for the idea of setting a, a broken bone back in order. You need to set it in order. Why? So that the body 
can heal properly in order that it will function rightly. In other words, equipping is enabling the whole body of Christ to be activated, to be healed, and to work in such a way that it can accomplish God's purpose in the world. We're called to equip. Secondly, God's people are equipped in order to serve. We are equipped so that we can serve. This is really important. Too often we've, we've taken this biblical idea of equipping as if it's simply a synonym for growing in knowledge, brain knowledge. I know more, I know more, I know more. But if we understand biblical equipping, it is the idea of head, yes, we've got to know some things, but also heart, we've got to change our disposition, and also hands, how then do we serve God's people? We've got to understand that. Pastor David Fitch, who is a professor at Northern Seminary, talks about a radical change that happened in the church in the fourth century, when the Roman Emperor Constantine became a Christian. Up until that time, Christians were uh, marginalized people. They were outlaws. They were under uh, uh, oppression from time to time, outbreaks. Many were made martyrs over the, cur- the course of the first three centuries of Christian history. It was, it was problematic. But then the emperor becomes a Christian and makes Christianity, the state religion of the entire Roman Empire. And now it's a very different way of understanding power because now as the Christian church, we're the ones in power. And so uh, Pastor Fitch talks about this change that occurs in the church at that time. And what happens, he says, is we move from being a people who are recognized by our practices and by our common way of life We're recognized by how we live and how we live together to becoming a people that is legislatively recognized by creeds and what we believe specifically. Now, I I think we have some wonderful creeds. I love the creeds of the church. We've got to be people who understand doctrine. We want to understand it rightly. But what, what Fitch says is this. What has happened in all of that is that what is, is that our practices and our way of life became separated from our belief system. So now we can give you a creed. We can tell you what we believe. But what does our life look like? And what does our common life look like together? It's different. In other words... Orthodoxy, what we say we believe, becomes separated from orthopraxy, how we live our lives. And we cannot allow that to happen. So we were, we are equipped in order to serve, to live this thing out. Last thing I want you to see on this equipping community is proper equipping builds up the church in unity. Proper Equipping builds up the church in unity. Now, when I say 
the church in unity, I'm not just talking about any given local church, but I'm talking about the big C church, that we become people who are in touch with, who, who, are, who are a part of this larger body of Christ, and we are, are one with our brothers and sisters all around the world. We, we have a common Savior, a common Lord. Listen, any type of, of discipleship or equipping that leaves us feeling superior or greater than others is not from God. It's just not. When we understand and when we're truly equipped by God, we become his humble servants and we walk with our brothers and sisters all around the world. So I want to look real quickly at five aspects of equipping. First of all, this, all believers are equipped. We want to equip every single believer in every way that we can from the youngest ages to live out their life and live out their faith in practical ways. Number two, equipping will never be purely an academic exercise. Divorced from practices of living out a Christian witness and serving God's people better. Thirdly, equipping is a holistic discipleship process that includes growing in healthy relationships. Again, head, heart, and hands. We are not just growing in knowledge, but in knowledge and in relationship with one another. We are the community of God's people, the beloved community. And then equipping is a lifelong process. It never stops, y'all. And then lastly, specific equipping is needed for to develop leaders in the church. Now, I'm not going to go today through a specific... Here's how we're going to do this at New Life. And there's a reason I'm not going to do that, and that is this. I don't know yet. <laughs> We've still got work to do to develop that and to work that out. But that's where we're going. So now we've taken time to look at those four areas. The praying community, the worshiping community, the missional community, and the equipping community. I want to take just a few minutes as I close here, to look at what it means to become a community that exemplifies justice and racial reconciliation. New Life Philly will emphasize a vision for justice and reconciliation as an ongoing, in an ongoing and systematic way. I'm going to lay that out in just a second. But given our context, where we are, this is a critical part of our work here. 2 Corinthians 2, verses 15 and 16 puts it this way. I love these words. For we are to God a pleasing aroma of Christ to those who are being saved and to those who are perishing. He says to the one We are an aroma that brings death. And to the other, an aroma that brings life. Sisters and brothers, if New Life Philly is to be the aroma of Christ to our neighbors, it will be in part because we have made a concerted effort to grow in our understanding of issues of race and justice that have an inordinately damaging impact on people of color all around us. 
and right among us as well. This must be a long-term and sustained effort. It takes patience, patience with one another, patience to grow together. It can't be rushed. Pastor Daniel Hill of Chicago warns against, I want you to hear this, the language of wokeness as being a gauge where people are in this regard. He'll quote one of his mentors uh, in cautioning him against people using this terminology, I'm woke. And he says that's actually dangerous to the cause of reconciliation. Here's what he says. He says, once they convince themselves they're woke, they will think they've arrived. Let me just say this in some poor English, ain't nobody arrived. That They won't see the need to be challenged anymore or to have blind spots revealed. And that is why woke is so dangerous. Amen, amen, and amen. He argues that instead of of looking at this as woke, like woke is, I'm woke, you're not woke. We can divide up Christians, woke Christians, unwoke Christians. Whenever we're doing that in the community of God's people, we're separating one from another. We are one is greater, one is lesser. Let's not do that, people of God. Hill says this, let's, instead of looking at woke, unwoke, let's look at all of us are on a continuum from blindness to sight. We're all somewhere on that line. We're all somewhere in there. I think that's a helpful way to understand it. Listen, I don't consider myself in any way to have arrived at some wokeness where I don't have much more to learn about these issues. We all need to grow here. And that's why over the next two years, New Life Philly will be engaged in a long-term consistent effort to help us grow in our ability to become a disciple-making beloved community that the Lord's calling us to be. Now, here's some specific ways we're going to do that. Number one, beginning this April, every fourth Sunday will be a Reconciliation Sunday. On that Sunday, we will preach on themes associated with justice, race, and reconciliation. That's one Sunday a month. Much of what we'll be doing the rest of the time after we finish this Revelation series, we're going to go into the book of Mark and go verse by verse through the entire gospel of Mark. That's going to take us a year and a half, two years. So you'll be getting a whole lot of content touching every area of our lives as disciples. But we will be stopping along the way once a month to say, let's check in and let's let's again look at this reconciliation piece. Also, we'll begin monthly seminars pursuing racial reconciliation. In that, we'll be doing teaching to build step by step by step so that we have a common understanding of uh, the terms that we use that can be so divisive. When you say race, one person means one thing, another person means another thing. What do we mean? How can we grow together? How can we understand this? We're going to build precept on precept on precept together over a long period of time to grow together in this. We'll be using 
Latasha Morrison's book, Be the Bridge, as, as kind of a loose um, outline for how we want to do that, I'd really recommend everyone to check out that book. Thirdly, we'll train and disciple a team to function as facilitators for small group discussions on race. We're not just going to throw ourselves into this without having some real training and facilitating so that whatever small group you end up in talking about this, we're coming from the same place. So people that want to be a part of that, you you can let me know. Now, I want to tell you in advance, it's going to be a lot of work to do this. I'm going to give a number of books to read for people that want to do this. I'm also uh, going to give uh, different seminars that I'm going to want people to watch. And we'll come together. We'll grow together so that my hope is by September of this year, we'll start those small group uh, places. And in those small groups, that becomes the safe place where you can ask any question. You can say anything. You don't have to worry. Uh, how is this going to be accepted? We, we have a place where we can come together, ask hard questions, talk about our differences, and work it out in the body of Christ, in the body of Christ at New Life Philly. Fourthly, we'll be updating our website with with a resource page on topics of reconciliation and justice. And then lastly, I'll be hosting Facebook and Instagram live events with leaders in the field of racial reconciliation. My goal is to do that at least once every other month uh, this year and then into 2022. And we'll see what happens after that. But some, some people I'd love to talk to are Randy Neighbors. Some of you know Randy. Dr. Dennis Edwards, uh, an awesome man of God I've gotten to know a little bit. Dr. Peter Cha. Pastor Ray Garcia, who's right here in Philadelphia in Roxborough. Latasha Morrison, love to talk to her, Jamar Tisby, Daniel Hill. Some of you know Pastor Lance Lewis, who was in Philly for many years. He's out in California. So there's a lot of people I'd love to have discussions with. And we can learn from others. Let me wrap this thing up, y'all. As we move in 2021, New Life Philly is at a critical place in our history as a church. We desire to grow holistically as a healthy body of believers dedicated to reaching the next generations and to reaching our community with the love of Jesus Christ. Jesus challenged his first disciples with these words. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers to his harvest field. Go, he says, I'm sending you as lambs in the midst of wolves. What applied to those first disciples in the first century applies to everyone who calls on the name of Jesus and calls him Lord. I pray 
that today and moving forward, you will feel the tug and the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart, calling you to be a part of this beloved community, calling you to be a disciple-making disciple, calling you to live a life of love for God and for others that points people to a more excellent way, the way of Jesus. Amen. Next month, in all likelihood, hopefully we'll find the date, but we're looking at doing a a congregational meeting in the next month, hopefully in March, maybe in April, but hopefully in March, to do a congregational meeting. We'll talk out some of this stuff more, but I wanted you to hear it these last two weeks. This is a passion I hope you can hear of my heart, but I, but I don't think I came here by mistake. I believe God brought me here and that God is moving here and God wants to do a beautiful, glorious thing on the corner of D and the Boulevard in Alney, in Upper North Philly to the praise of his name. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you Once again, you are the glorious and almighty God. Your name is greatly to be praised. Help us, oh God. Help us to bear with one another, even through difficulty, even through misunderstanding, even through all of the the stuff that, that makes it hard sometimes, but you haven't called us to something easy. You called us to something great. So, Lord, I pray that you would do a great work in this church and through this church. That Jesus Christ will be high and lifted up. And people will see God at work. Give all these things to you, Lord, in the blessed name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.